0: you have a copy of God's Word with you. If you'd like to turn to Galatians chapter 5, Brother Nick is going to come and read our text for us from there. So i read Galatians 5, verse 1 through 6. It says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision... For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Thank you, brother. I have a quote that I'd like to begin with this morning as we think about this freedom. It's from Harriet Tubman. Many of you know that know much American history know Harriet Tubman was a slave who became free and then was part of the Underground Railroad. She said this, I've seen hundreds of escaped slaves, but I never saw one who was willing to go back and be a slave. So I read that quote this week. I thought how stark the contrast it draws between freedom and slavery. And I thought how fitting it is as Paul, what we, the text we ended with last week, Galatians 5.1, says very much the same thing. At least he implores us to feel the same way as these escaped slaves, right? Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You are free. So don't turn back to the things that God has set you free from. One, The one that we're most familiar with, I think often we talk about Christian freedom. We think about freedom from sin. And praise God, we are free from sin. We're free from the guilt of sin. We're free from the power of sin. But here, Paul specifically has something else in mind. He's talking about freedom from legalism. Freedom from the law. Freedom from having to try to earn your way to heaven. Freedom from having to be perfect on your own. And so this morning, I just want us to think about the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. About how valuable it is and how precious it is. Because if I can just shoot straight for just a moment... I would tell you that I, I don't believe that we really appreciate the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. I don't think it means as much to us as it should. I don't think we think on it as often as we should. I don't think we're grateful enough for it. At least I know that I don't. And I'm assuming that there are at least some of the rest of you who may be in that boat. So today, here's how we're going. Here, here's the, the plan. Two things. There are only even two points. Some of you won't like that. There aren't three points. You can make up a third, just make it a good one. But here are the two things we're going to see. The first thing we're going to see is we're going to get a glimpse of life under the law. I want us to think about, Paul does this for us. He explains to us what life under the law was like because I don't think it's a stretch to ask you to imagine this. uh, But imagine you were born in America, a free nation where you have great freedoms. You were born here, and you were raised here, and this is the only nation that you've ever known. You've never lived under a communist regime. You've never lived under a dictatorship. You don't know anything other than freedom. So sometimes it's hard to recognize what a blessing that freedom is until you hear about a dictatorship where one man tells everyone what they can and cannot do. And in the same sense, I don't think we can appreciate being free from the law if we don't understand what life under the law was like. So we're just going to take a glimpse to see what did it feel like or what would it feel like to live life as a legalist. And then the other thing is a reminder of the beautiful freedom we have in Jesus. So we're going to look at the law that we're free from. We're going to look at the freedom that we have, and that'll be what we're doing as we prepare our hearts to come before the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper, and uh, observe that ordinance to be reminded of how we have this freedom. So let's look in verses 2, 3, and 4 to get a glimpse of life under the law. Paul says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, this is, let me just briefly, when he says accepting circumcision a couple times here, He's using that as a synonym for uh, being a legalist or trying to find righteousness under the law. If you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away. From grace. Now, again, Paul does this well. He uses strong language, very strong language here to describe the life of a legalist, the feeling of living under the law. In verse 2, he says, Christ is of no advantage to you. So, for a moment, you can just think all of the blessings that we receive through faith in Jesus Christ, right? His presence, and his peace, and his power, and his guidance, and his love, and his intercession on our behalf as Christ intercedes for us to the Father, you get none of that if you choose the road of legalism and following the law to earn your salvation. In verse 3, he says you are obligated to keep the whole law. In just a moment, we're going to think about the weight of that. And then in verse 4, probably the, the most harsh language, you are severed from Christ and you don't receive God's grace. You, in other words, you get what you deserve. And there are some times that we whine because we say, I didn't get what I deserve, but brothers and sisters, when it comes to sin and righteousness, we don't want what we deserve we want what Christ offers instead. But if you choose the law and legalism, if you're living under that, then what you're going to do is you're going to get what you deserve, which includes all the punishment for all the sins that you've committed. That's not what we want. So, so can you imagine, as, as Paul is describing this in these three verses, can you imagine the weight of living that life? That, that you just, every day you feel like there's no room for wrong. There's no margin for mistake because there's no grace. The way that he describes it, he says that you have fallen away from grace. There's no, there's no hope. There's you being responsible for trying to be perfect all the time. At least that's how Paul describes it here. So let's talk about this idea of having to keep the whole law. So any of you that have studied the law, you might know uh, that there is said to be 613 commands in the Mosaic law, the law that he's talking about here now. They, some of them seem to run together, but that's a well-accepted number. 613 commands. Here are some of the things that they govern. Your relationship with God, your relationship with your family, with your neighbors, with the poor and needy, what you say, what you wear, what you eat, Your hair, your facial hair, how you farm, how you harvest, how you cook, how you use your money, how you worship, how you seek forgiveness through sacrifices. And that's just a small handful of the things governed by the law that you, as he says here in verse three, if you choose the road of legalism, you are obligated to keep to know and to keep every one of them every moment. Of every day. That's heavy. Sounds exhausting to me. And, brothers and sisters, this is what I want you to hear this morning. This is what our lives could be like if it were not for the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. I can't personally tell you what life under the law feels like because I've never lived that life. Praise God. But Paul describes it this way, and I want you to look at the highlighted words that I have here for you. In uh, and, and a survey of his description from Galatians 3 and 4, he says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. In Galatians 4, 3, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles Of the world. You see the words that he uses to describe life under the law? Under a curse, held captive, imprisoned, enslaved, brothers and sisters. This is not the type of life that we want to live. But if it were not for Christ, this would be the best option that we would have for this life. Point one this morning is this the bondage of the law is heavy. The bondage of it, again, I'm only speaking from the teaching of God's word, but it describes it, Paul describes it as heavy and burdensome. Something that would be difficult to do. Something that would be anxiety-inducing in many ways, I think. But I do want to be clear that this is the best option outside of the new covenant through outside of faith in Jesus christ strictly trying to follow the law and when you didn't strictly following the prescribed rituals that you had to do to receive forgiveness but that's still better it's still better to be a slave to the law than to be a slave to sin amen right so it's still an it's still an option there are still there's still a sacrificial system where you can take these animals and they can be sacrificed and you can go through the rituals and you can receive forgiveness but but again, I, just, I, sh- I share Paul's thoughts under a curse, held captive, imprisoned, and enslaved. So as you have that in mind, so that's kind of the background. That's what things could be like. That's what we've been set free from. So, so those of you that are starting to feel a little bit down or a little bit sad or a little bit uh, imprisoned or in bondage, just know I'm not saying that's what life is like. I'm saying that's what life would be like if it were not for Jesus But praise God, Jesus has come. And so in verses 5 and 6, I think he's helping us to understand what life is like for those of us that are Christians, that do have faith. Look with me there. Galatians 5, 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. This is what I refer to as the sound of freedom. It's what I've titled the sermon today. The sound of freedom. We're not using words like imprisoned and enslaved and held captive. No, he's using words like faith and hope and righteousness and love. Because through faith in Jesus Christ, we have received righteousness. That righteousness gives us hope a certain hope, a guaranteed hope, and it also allows us to know and to live out true love. This is New Covenant living. In the New Covenant, we don't earn our righteousness, we receive our righteousness through faith. Our sins are removed. It's not that we were perfect and never sinned, but the sins that we did have, and the guilt of those sins, and the punishment for those sins is removed... How? Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we have faith in Him, we don't have to take some animals to the priest to offer a sacrifice for our sins to be taken away because the once and for all perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God has already died, and that is Jesus Christ. The work's already done, it's already complete. And so now for those of us that believe in Jesus, there's not this constant striving and work and trying to be perfect. No, there's rest. There's rest knowing that everything that has to be done for me to be righteous has already been done. Knowing that I don't have to worry about my future. I don't have to worry about the judgment that's coming I think that's part of what he's talking about in verse 5 when he says, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. He's pointing us to the future, uh, the, the future that's coming, that's going to be even better than what we find here now, right? In, in this life right now, as Christians, we find peace and we find rest and we find freedom as we find righteousness and justification through the gospel, but as good as those things are, the best is yet to come. Even as Christians living in the perfection of Christ with full assurance and full freedom and full rest, we're still eagerly waiting for what's coming in the future. Things are great and they're only going to get better. What does the hope look like? Because I know that's not a word that we use in this way often. Verse 5 when he says, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Now, usually when we say hope, it's like something that may or may not come about, right? I, I hope it does, but I'm not sure. That's not the way that, that Paul is using the term here. He's talking about something that is guaranteed and certain. The hope that you have when you are righteous is something that you're eagerly waiting for because you know that it's going to show up. He's talking about something that he knows will happen. He doesn't know exactly when it's going to happen, but he knows with all certainty that one day we will be with God in his presence in a perfect place where there is no pain and no death and no sin and no evil forever and ever and ever. That is the hope of righteousness that comes Through Jesus Christ. This is the freedom that he's talking about. Freedom from worrying. How will I get there? Or will I get there? And I have that conversation with people often. I'll say, you know, do you you think you'll go to heaven when you die? And they use hope in the sense that we use hope. Well, I hope so. Or maybe. Or we'll see. Or I would like to. Or I would like to think so. But brothers and sisters... In the new covenant, through faith in Jesus Christ, there is assurance. You can say, yes, yet not I, but through Christ in me. But yes, I know that I'm going to be with God in heaven forever and ever. And that reassurance gives us freedom from worry. And God gives us freedom from guilt. And he promises us freedom from punishment. And so we eagerly wait the return of Jesus Christ when we will receive the fullness of the gifts of God's blessings that come through the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. Point two is this, the freedom of God's grace is overwhelming, right? The bondage of the law is heavy, but the freedom of God's grace is overwhelming. To think that all the things I've done wrong, I won't be held responsible for. It's amazing to think that I don't have to be perfect because even if I make a mistake, even if I sin today, God's grace through my faith covers even that sin. Praise God That, that even if I'm not perfect, Jesus already has that. I don't have to work to earn it, that I can rest because Christ has already done the work to earn my salvation. This is overwhelming, the beauty of the freedom that we have in Jesus, And so that's what we're celebrating. That's what we celebrate today. It's what I pray we celebrate every day. Is that we're not bound to the law. That we're not bound to sin. That we don't have to do these things. But that we get to rest in the freedom of Jesus Christ. So do you see the great contrast between life under the law? That Paul... And again, you can appreciate that Paul lived in both of these senses. He lived much of his life under the bondage of the law, trying to remember all 613 commands and every day thinking about everything he did to try to make sure that they lived up to that standard. That's what much of his life was like. But then, in one instance, on the road to Damascus, when he sees the light and whenever Jesus speaks to him, everything changed. And for the rest of his life, He lived without the burden of those 613 laws bearing down on his back. He lived knowing that my righteousness has already been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ and my salvation is secure. It's not based on what I'm doing or what I haven't done. So for us, we rest in the assurance of God's grace and his eternal acceptance through faith in Jesus Christ. And that is freedom. That is freedom. I want to end with one quote. This is from Martin Luther. Great church reformer Martin Luther. In a commentary about Galatians. Just talking about Galatians 5.1. In this quote what he's doing. Is he's contrasting all other freedoms. Any freedom that you might think about. Financial freedom. National freedom. Freedom freedom of schedule, right? Those of you that are looking forward to retirement, oh, the freedom of waking up every day and choosing what I get to do, right? All these freedoms. He's contrasting all those freedoms with the freedom that we have as Christians in Christ Jesus. Listen to this. For Christ hath made us free, not civilly, not carnally, but divinely. And, so, and in such short that our conscience is free and quiet, not fearing the wrath of God to come. This is the true and inestimable liberty to the excellency and majesty whereof if we compare the other, right? He's comparing all the other earthly freedoms. They are but as a drop of water in respect of the whole sea. For who is able to express what a thing it is when a man is assured in his heart that God neither is nor will be angry with him, but will be forever a merciful and loving father unto him for Christ's sake. This then is an inestimable liberty, that we are made free of the wrath of God forever. Praise God, brothers and sisters, for this wonderful and glorious truth this morning. I want to invite you to stand this morning, and we're going to prepare to come before the Lord's table. And we think this morning on this this great freedom that we have, that God is not angry with us, that God is not going to be angry with us, that God does not have punishment for us, That we do not have to fear the judgment. That we do not have to fear hell. That we look forward to the glory of heaven. But then we ask this question, how is it that I could have all of these things? And that's why we come to observe the Lord's Supper this morning. To be reminded with our eyes and with our mouth and with our hands how this freedom was purchased. It is free to us, but it was costly to Christ. He paid with his own blood the ransom that sets us free. And so this morning, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. I'm going to invite our men that are going to help hand out the ordinances this morning, the elements for the ordinance this morning. As they come and you stand, we're going to sing this morning, and they'll they'll come around, and just so you know, there's two cups that are stacked together. So go ahead and grab the two stacked together. One has the bread and one has the juice. And as you hold that in your hands, I want you to think about the price that was paid in order to purchase our freedom. This morning, if you're with us and you're not a Christian, you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, we ask that you would not take of these elements this morning you would not observe the Lord's Supper in that way, that you would allow them to pass by. But we do want you to know that this freedom has already been purchased and is available to you through faith in Jesus Christ. If you have questions, I'll be down here, and I would love for you to come and talk to me about that. Brothers and sisters that know that you're Christians, maybe this morning you need to pray because you recognize that you have overlooked this great freedom that we have. That's a wonderful way for you to respond during this time. Or maybe you want to sing this morning as we sing about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. But I just ask this morning that you would respond in the way that the Lord calls you to us. Brother Shane and the praise team lead us in this hymn of response.